Hello, and welcome to Talks with Sarah No Socks, a podcast about failure and how it's leading us to success. Each week, I sit down on Mondays and share my weekly failures with you, and I'm joined on Fridays with a special guest who's sharing their own story of failure and how that's led to their current success. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's show. Well, welcome everybody to this week's episode of Talks with Sarah No Socks. I am joined this week with Natalie, the founder of Freelance Notion, a new business operating system for freelancers. Natalie is working with technical founders to solve big problems and take them to market by day. And by night, she's a no-coder building this freelance Notion system. She recently discovered no-code, and I can't wait to chat with her about her kind of explosion onto the scene over the last few months and her immense growth. She really embraced the build in public mantra and has been doing immensely well since joining the little community that we have here. So I'm so excited to have her on the show and hear all about her journey. Welcome, Natalie. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. Yeah, really excited to have you on. So we were talking just briefly earlier, and it's been pretty much just since November that this no-code journey started for you, right? Yeah, I, it was been quite a new thing. I'm one of those people that when I get into something, is 100%. There, there, is no, there is no kind of like 10%. It's like I've found something new. It's exciting. Let's give it 100%. And I suppose for me, I was just kind of looking for new things. I actually haven't been on Twitter really much for very long. Previous to this, I was very active on LinkedIn. And I sort of been growing my following on LinkedIn. I think on, I think I have about 24,000 followers on LinkedIn now. So I kind of was like, right, okay, I feel like I've done that platform. I wonder what, what's going on on Twitter. Yeah. And actually, the more I started exploring Twitter, the more I realized that there was more people that were like me and I got more excited Mm -hmm. and that's when I bumped into this kind of word no code and I saw the tools and I was like I already use all of these tools I use so much (laughs) of them in my day-to-day I didn't I didn't realize that no code was a thing and that's when I found Kieran um, and the the launch MBA and I think within like three days I had signed up subscribe to do the course to launch 12 products in 12 months and I just just did it (laughs) that's kind of it really I love it it. that's great so we have a lot to unpack there but I want to kind of back up a step and like get to know you so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are outside of the no code space yeah okay so maybe I'll start like at the beginning of my like maker journey because I've been reflecting a bit on this to try and unpick where this all came from And actually, I figured out that the first time I became a maker, I was eight years old and I was on the playground and me and my best friend identified that girls like personalized friendship bracelets. And why not get some string, ask them about their star sign and make a personalized friendship bracelet for them, which we sold on the playground. And I mean, of course, at that age, we didn't think of it as a business, but I've always been a little bit creative and wanting to make stuff to to make other people happy. And that's kind of the main thing for me is like making stuff to bring other people joy or solving a problem. Right. And so like moving forward a few years to university, I, I took a I took a science degree. Um, and at the same time, I did performing arts in my spare time. 
Um, I was lucky enough to get a performing arts scholarship to university so I could go and study my science degree. And it was during this time that I identified that there wasn't any local dance schools for adults in the area. Interesting. Yeah, so rather than just giving up on attending a local dance school, I was like, well, I'll just make one. Wow. Okay. So second year at university, doing a science degree, starting a business, um, using 100% Facebook. Wow. So I, I was 18 years old. I think Facebook had just come out in the UK for university students like a couple of years in. Uh-huh. And they didn't have the group feature at that time. So I actually created a profile that was my company's profile. Oh, wow. And then just built a community on Facebook related to my dance company, mm-hmm. convinced a local dance studio that, you know, they should offer me some space for free to start this up. And my first class, I had 50 people turn up just from oh communicating with people on social media. So I think I realized the power of social media. But again, I, I didn't think of this much as a business. Mm-hmm. I just saw it as, okay, I want to dance. There isn't any dance. Surely other people want to dance. So why not find those people and start something together? And actually that was, that was the first company that I started and actually learned a lot from that not going so well um, at some Mm -hmm. point. Um, And when I graduated, I ended up sort of pursuing a career in physiotherapy and I went to serve the NHS for a few years, which is the National Mm -hmm. Health Service in the UK, which is an amazing organization. Um, But I found when I was in that, I noticed a lot of problems and it's a big, big, it's a big beast of a company, I'd say, you know, Mm -hmm. lots of bureaucracy, lots of red tape. And when you're somebody that likes to solve problems, working in an organization where you can't create that change Mm -hmm. becomes quite frustrating. Mm -hmm. And the thing I became a little bit obsessed about was, was patient data and notes and how those flow through systems and why I couldn't have all the information about every single one of my patients at my fingertips the moment I saw them. And that, that frustrated me. Um, anyway, a few years later, I've been working as a physiotherapist for a couple of years and I end up becoming um, the clinical lead for Her Majesty's Prison Service. And it was at that point that a GP approached me and asked me if I could help them reduce the opioid consumption in the prison. Yeah. And my eyes just lit up. I was like, great, a problem I yeah. can fix yeah. with something new. So I evaluated the entire system and put in place a brand new system, which included new communication channels between different departments that didn't previously speak to each other. Mm-hmm. And we solved the problem. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then I took a gap year and did that whole kind of traveling thing, and um, which is very typical of, of Brits. We go around uh, Thailand, Australia, New Zealand. Um, I worked on farms. I, I worked in the travel industry, sort of, yeah. again, selling tours to make people happy. Yeah. And, yeah, then I came back to the UK, very much got into um, clinical operations before I started volunteering for TED Talks oh, as, okay. a, as a curator. And it was actually at that point that I was headhunted for a marketing role because I curated a founder's story. There was a blockchain company for electronic health records. 
And I just sent it back to them and said, look, guys, you weren't successful this time, but maybe next time apply with something like this. Yeah. And they loved it. So I went and worked for them for a few years before starting up my own freelance business to to take other startups to market. So doing lots of marketing specifically related to CRM based marketing, which is all about getting that 360 view Mm -hmm. of your customer. So I've always been very focused around like, who are your customers? What problems do they have? How can we really fix those? And when I realized that I could actually single-handedly build solutions to solve people's problems Mm -hmm. without necessarily the assistance of a developer or even a designer now because the tools are so great. And and yeah, I I just got so excited when I realized I could do that. And since then, it's just been like, what can I make? That's awesome. Wow, that's such an amazing journey. Um, My background is in healthcare as well. So I find that really interesting. Um, you know, of course, we don't have national health care here in the States, but mm. we have the same issue with uh, documentation. So maybe offline <laughs> we could talk about that. But um, so I, that's really fascinating. So it does sound like marketing has been kind of a strong skill set for you from eight because you were very quickly able to identify a, a product and a, an audience for that product and, and sell it to folks. So that's great. It's, re- it's really interesting because I never even heard of the word marketing when I was at university. I didn't know what marketing was. Um, yeah. And actually, I've looked back at that old um, Facebook profile and I've looked at the strategies I used and, and let's just say they weren't the most PC. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely well. wouldn't use them today. But, um, but it worked. Yeah. Yeah, well, everything evolves, right? There's always an evolution. So you you touched on briefly that that um, performing arts dance studio that you started business did not go well. So <laughs> talk to me about that a little bit. And was that like kind of your first failure in the business world, so to speak? Yeah, well, actually, yeah, because the friendship bracelet business went remarkably well and we closed that at a profit and that was great. But um, moving on to the the dance business, it was it was good for the first year. It went amazingly. I had classes every week. I expanded to two classes every week. Then I started teaching after school clubs. Then I turned that into an agency where the dancers were actually hired to go and perform at clubs. Yeah. Um, and actually, that went well for a year. The second year when I tried to scale a little bit more and actually delegate some of Mm. the work to other people, staff, try and outsource things so I could actually, well, continue with my degree because I was in the third year of my degree and I kind of wanted to pass it. Yeah. Um, But then keep the business running and growing. I actually, I think I never had the mindset that it was going to become a company in the future. Maybe that was part of the reason why I never succeeded but one of the key parts was was people management I learned very very quickly that if you don't have the right contracts in place if you are not transparent if you don't have discussions and make people aware of the reasons why as a business owner you are making certain decisions then very very quickly people who work with you or work around you they they can turn against you very quickly Um, and your staff are your greatest asset. And I truly believe that the people that you surround yourself with and run your business with, they are truly the most important thing as a business owner. Mm -hmm. And at the time 
I don't think I really understood that very well. Or if I did understand it, I just didn't have the knowledge to know how to do it. Right. Um, and it became in the end that the environment became so toxic that I didn't even want to work in it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it came to the point that there was a couple of people that I was close with that I just said, guys, if you want my brand, if you want this whole thing, like you can have it because yeah. it, it became that much of a stress as a solo founder mm-hmm. that, that I, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, That was the first lesson. And it actually affected me for quite a while. I didn't set up another business with another person for quite a long time after that, actually. Yeah. Um, I've heard that story, (laughs) not that specific story, but that vein, right? Uh, In in entrepreneurship quite frequently, not having contracts and not setting clear boundaries and expectations. You were so young, my goodness. And scaling something so rapidly. So I think naturally that just comes. It's one of those things that until you go through it, you don't really know um, how to do it. So I'm not happy you had to go through it, but I am a little bit that you went through it so early Mm -hmm. and learned those lessons so early on in your journey, because I'm sure that that is valuable information to carry through as you continue on. It's pretty amazing. A hundred percent. I mean, just the way in which I organize my work, organize contracts, manage people, manage expectations Mm -hmm. is a hundred percent impacted by the experiences I have between the ages of like 18 and 21. Yeah. Um, And, and actually today I find that I'm the reason I've been able to set up the agency that is Nayam marketing and all my other freelance stuff is because, and the reason I can manage it all is because I know how to work with people around me so that we all benefit. Mm -hmm. So a lots of people often say, Natalie, you have so much going on right now. Well, I have a lot of projects and quite a few businesses, but I don't run them all. I don't manage them all. Mm-hmm. I just have amazing people that work with me mm-hmm. that help me achieve those goals. Yeah, that's uh, fantastic that you were able to find that. I learned that lesson early on because I do see a lot of people struggle with it much, much later and sometimes with their first business much later, and it leads to a lot of bad outcomes. So congrats that you learned that and you set up all the success. Yeah, you found Twitter. So you said you have a huge following on LinkedIn. And, you know, based on the background you just gave us, of course, very heavy in, um, I would call the traditional corporate setting. But then all of a sudden, now you're, you're on Twitter, and you're in the no code community. I mean, my gosh, so you just kind of picked up Twitter one day. Do you remember what sparked like the interest? So I, I was actually forced onto Twitter um, (laughs) initially um, when I became part of the the cryptocurrency scene. So as I mentioned, I was the uh, marketing and communications director for a a blockchain company in, I think it was around 2017. So that was the, the big boom. And obviously one of our core marketing channels, is crypto Twitter. Yeah. So yeah, so I came onto it for that initially and I very much saw it as something that I was doing for work, having a presence for work. Although then you know, when you get into crypto, you do really get into crypto and then, you know, before mm-hmm. I knew I was following, you know, Melton DeMorris um and and some of the other like really important characters in crypto Twitter. Um so I I became a little bit obsessed with it again. during that crypto stage but then when I left that scene I I didn't necessarily see a need for it it wasn't the channel that my audience was on so Mm -hmm. I invested heavily my time on LinkedIn um 
and yeah, then I came back to Twitter and wow, it's just, it's moved on so fast. Um, I mean, have you witnessed a change in Twitter recently or have I just found this new bubble of people? <laughs> I think it's the new bubble. I've had this conversation with a lot of my guests because we all met on Twitter and I feel like the no-code community decided that Twitter was our main core platform to kind of branch out from. And the maker, builder, build a no-code, no-code community, or build in public no-code community, I think is just really an amazing group of people. And once you find that bubble, I feel like we're kind of blinders on to all of the other things that maybe are not so spectacular in some of these social media spaces, but right. I mean, they're just great people. So mm. it's easy to, to stay on there and connect. Um, I don't know if there's been a change outside of the no code Twitter bubble. Maybe I haven't ventured into some of the other <laughs> sectors. But yeah, I've, I've managed. And I think the thing is, so first of all, for my dance company, I growth hacked Facebook. Mm -hmm. Then I joined LinkedIn in 2009, I think, and growth hacked that a little bit. Then I did a little bit of Twitter for um, uh, for the cryptocurrency company. And then I was like, well, I've d why don't I just give it a go for me mm -hmm. for like four weeks? So as, as you say, I've been very active for four weeks and I kind of wanted to test some of my knowledge of growth hacking companies, other people's companies and see if it worked on me. And I think think over four weeks I increased my following by about 500 people which mm -hmm. considering that I was entering a new industry that I had never set foot in before the system still seems to work and the system is be social on social media and talk to people and give them your time in dms and actually build real relationships that's what works on social yeah. media Yep. I think that's an important point to call out. A lot of people want to know, how do I get more followers? And it's like, you can't be a lurker. You have to <laughs> interact with people. I think Twitter's amazing for that. You mentioned the DMs. So many amazing people I have met through DMs on Twitter. And, you know, you're meeting these folks all around the world. And COVID has forced us online more so than usual. And yeah, there's just so many opportunities for everything. Yeah. And I think it's important to say that it is normal to DM someone on Twitter. Like, that's normal. And, and if you like something or if you comment on a post and if you think, okay, right, I'd actually like to meet this person, you know, DM them. Right. And, and don't worry about that. Yes. What's I think the worst a... that can happen? They might not reply. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's no harm in it for sure. Uh, you know, people have the option to set up their DMs to be closed. So I always kind of go in with the assumption that if it's an open, if I can DM you, I'm going to because it's open. Not spammy about it, but yeah, same thing. Okay, yeah, so you found Launch, <laughs> and I know you gained a lot of followers from Launch, and you have been talking a lot about helping freelancers, and that seemed to spawn this whole freelance notion, but I feel like there's more to this that maybe that was already in the works before you um, hit no-code Twitter. So you tell us. So I, again... It really wasn't in my head. I think I was in a stage that I remembered how it felt when we went into lockdown. And actually, but just before lockdown, I was working with an event tech company. Oh, okay. Face-to-face -face event tech company. Yeah. Which didn't do so well. Yeah. And I was at that point where I I was kind of starting from scratch again. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have didn't have any clients, didn't have anything going. 
but I've been here before. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've started businesses over and over again. I've done freelancing and lots of different things. So I wasn't fearful. I just, I, I knew the strategies I needed to take to find clients. Yeah. And I found a couple of really good clients. And then I basically did what we call upsell and cross-sell within the contract. So they started off as small contracts and then grew. And rather than keeping that work for myself, I decided to distribute that amongst other freelancers that I knew were struggling. Mm -hmm. And I went into different community groups and I started sharing that work. Um, But I still remember the fear of that. And I think I see more and more people who are reporting losing their jobs, becoming made redundant, or just the companies are going broke and they don't know what to do. Yep. And I can see this becoming a problem through what I call social listening. So I, I sometimes I just scroll through social media looking for problems, mm-hmm. like looking like who, what problems can I see? What trends of problems can I see? And and lots of people losing jobs, asking if anyone can hire them. And I was like, okay, right, how can I solve this problem? And because I've had contracts built from lawyers, I've got templates for you know business proposals um, and account systems and all these systems that I've been using for years and years. And I saw other people using this platform Notion to launch info packs. And I was like, what if I could just put all the things that I have on one platform mm-hmm. and give it to everybody. I mean, I could save them thousands of pounds in legal fees and accountancy fees and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get any more benefit from not sharing it or sharing it. So right. I, I just thought that would be a good idea. Um, so I, I just mentioned it to the group and everybody thought that that was a good idea. And you know, when you have a yeah. group of people and no one says a bad thing, you're like, okay, maybe this is a good idea. Right. Um, then I put up my card website, which mm-hmm. is an amazing tool. Um, super easy to build on. I'd never built on it before, but so easy to get things looking nice. Downloaded a few icons from um, template website, used Canva mm-hmm. to create the design with the like templates and I use part of the the notion mm-hmm. logo as well to create the logo put that up and pushed it out across all the channels I had and within a couple of well within 24 hours I think I had t- 20 subscribers yeah that's awesome and and I remember dming Kieran like Kieran is this good he's like yes this is a good sign Very <laughs> you, should good. Probably, you should probably build this yeah um, and so I I did I just started building it and it wasn't too long before I had everybody in the launch MBA group nagging me to open pre-sales. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, it took me a while to do that. Um, it's a weird feeling selling something that you haven't built yet. Yeah. I, I've not done it yet because it makes me really nervous. So talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I suppose now when I look back at it, it's just like me promising to teach those people a dance class. Like they were always signing up in advance to something they were going to get later. That's true. So now when I look back on it, it's kind of no different. But I tell you what, at the time, going on Gumroad and Gumroad, isn't it? Yep. Mm -hmm. Going on Gumroad and putting up my offer and, and trying to figure out the pricing and then doing the 50% off and sitting there 
probably for about 10 minutes deciding whether it was the right time to publish. Mm-hmm. And I did it. And the first feeling I had was, what have I done? And I then thought, actually, no, I don't want to promote this too much because what if I fail was the first thought. Mm-hmm. Then I realized that there was no point in pre-launching it if I wasn't going to promote it because no one would have known that I had pre-launched it (laughs) if I hadn't promoted it. So I set myself up a series of tweets um, and, you know, started pushing it out into a few groups that I was in. And within 24 hours, I had three purchases and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And the feeling then was, Now I really have to make this. And actually, it was the best thing that I did because it was the most motivating thing. I find it actually quite difficult to be self-motivated based on my own ideas and wants and needs. Mm -hmm. I am much more motivated when I am trying to serve other people and address their needs. And when there's money attached to that, when you you are now committed to deliver based on the expectations that you set, and then they've given you money, that really gets you going. And I think Mm -hmm. that's been a great asset to me. And, you know, thank you to all those people that have pre-purchased Freelance Notion because it's it's because of you that drives me forwards. And, yeah. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Did you set in your mind, uh, I want to have X number of people sign up for pre-launch or I'm not going to make it? I know some people take that path and other people are a bit more broad and think, okay, if two people sign up, I'm just going to go ahead and make it. Yeah, I had a, t- I had a goal of 50 signups on my, web- on my website. Um, and I actually did the pre-sale a week after I got 50. It took me a week from hitting my target to actually yeah. going through with opening pre-sales. Um, I did go forwards with that. Um, but there's so much more to do in terms of like making sure I get in contact with people, making sure everything's perfect. But what I have been doing is, um, and this was a change I made. This was a mistake initially. Um, when I did my pre-launch, I just got people's emails when they filled mm-hmm. out their, their, um, their receipts. I then, after receiving those first three sales, I realized that I didn't want to email them because the email just seems really impersonal and really corporate. I actually mm-hmm. wanted to DM them on Twitter. So I changed one of the questions on the pre-launch to, can you add your Twitter handle? Because I would love to chat with you and set up a meeting for us to have a call. And that's changed everything. So the sales wow. that I've had since then, I now DM them straight away on Twitter and ask if they'd like to have a chat with me. Not everybody wants to, but right. the ones that do, um, I've now got a couple of calls set up this week. And the reason why I'm doing that is I want to make sure that what I've included in Freelance Notion really addresses their problem. Yeah, it's very smart, especially as a pre-sale because you're you know, really honing in on what the product is going to be and be sure that it delivers. Very smart thinking. It's a lot of time investment for you, but will definitely pay off. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like a lot of time, actually. <laughs> it does. I mean, I still work full time, like Monday to Friday. It's still, yeah. you know, lunch breaks and things like that. I think when you enjoy something, it doesn't feel like a lot of time. Yeah. I, I think that's probably what it is. Yeah, that's a good point. It It is. I just was thinking, even if you enjoy it, it's still a lot, you know, even if you only have 
a third of the people who sign up say, yes, I want to meet with you. Yes, you enjoy it. It's good feedback. But logistically, yeah. it can get to be a lot while you're building and working and doing this all the things. I mean, I, I haven't thought about what might happen if after this podcast, 200 people decide to pre- Right. Pre- <laughs> it could be a problem. <laughs> it might, might be a problem. Yeah. But um, of course, if that does happen, we will have to either, uh, I will bring in some people that are super friendly to chat to them on the phone or you know, we can take a pivot or just like chat to people and just see, you know, is it okay if actually now we don't do that so much? Or we, we cut them down to 15 minute chats rather than half an hour. So we'll be all yeah. right. Yeah, that's always good too. 10 or 15 minutes, I think is really effective for sure. That's great. That was a great pivot. What made you decide to, you know, encourage people to speak with you after they purchased it? <sighs> I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think it's, I think it's the fact that I want it to be right for them. That's all I was thinking. I was like, well, how will I know if I'm addressing their problem unless I actually speak to them personally? Because you write content on your website of what's going to be included in your product. Mm -hmm. And you're not ever 100% sure how people interpret that. Right. You know, working in comms and marketing for a long time now, it's, it's amazing how different words mean different things to different people. Oh, and... Yeah. You know, even in conversations, you can say one word to one person in the exact same way that you say it to another. But, you know, due to their previous history or knowledge of that word, they, they interpret it in such different ways. So part of me wanting to speak to people is making sure that the communications that I've put out about the expectations of my product are actually what they think they're going to be receiving. Because my worst nightmare would be to release a product where people have expectations that are not met. Uh, I truly believe in this idea of under-promise and over-deliver. And you don't know if you're over-delivering unless you know what their expectations are. Yeah, totally agreed. I It's really phenomenal. I think it's a very interesting look at how to package a product because most people would do the portion that you're doing aside from a pre-sale, right? They would reach out and say, hey, I want to I want to talk with 10 or 15 people about this problem that you're having, you know, and set up kind of these side calls and then decide whether or not they want to build something. And you kind of did it all at once. You're like, oh, I had an idea. I got validated and I decided I'm going to have the people who are buying it help me build it, essentially, right? You're giving them the product, but they're helping you build it by saying, no, no, I really want these accounting sheets instead of these. That's great. Yeah. For Amazing. Sure. I mean, they're getting it at a discount and they're helping me. And I kind of do the calls in a way that if they, they're kind of AMA calls as well. So if they <laughs> want to ask me anything about their current freelance situation, then I'm more than happy to help them. And actually, even since then, I've actually had a job come in. Someone needs a WordPress um, site sorted. And there, there was someone who pre-sale um, talked to me during the pre-sale that is a WordPress developer and I am actually going to reach out to him and ask nice. him if he wants to, you know, jump on that job with me because yeah. that, that's it as well. You know, I, cause I have a marketing agency as well. I suppose the added benefit is, is I'm getting to know freelancers that I might be able to send work to as well through my right. agency. Yeah. Um, so there's just so many wins for this like freelance notion and it's starting at a platform, but 
my vision is is that it will turn into something much more like I have spoken to lots of other influencers on Twitter who are focused on the freelance market that have books for specific freelancers training for specific freelancers and I'm sort of aggregating all of those and and putting them as a database attached to Freelance Notion as well. So then people mm. can start exploring all the different resources. So maybe yeah. they start on Freelance Notion, they organize themselves, they learn how to the basics, um, and they get themselves organized with some of the legal contracts and the accounting stuff. And then they start exploring the resources and then they realize more and more like, oh, there's a freelance community for me. There's a freelance book for me. There's a mindset book for me. And, and it sort of turns into this whole like ecosystem of things to help freelancers. Yeah, that's wonderful. I really love that. I think that's what I see being the next thing, these kind of mini ecosystems in within the communities that they're serving. Um it's just so helpful. I know I would have really found this useful when I was starting before I paid the thousands of dollars in lawyer fees to set up contracts and accounting and all those things. So exactly. very exciting. Actually, I would very much like to talk to you about your experience in the US of freelancing oh, yeah. because I think, think that's a bit different. So another thing that I've launched on side it, so because I realized that other partners wanted me to share their resources with freelancers on my platform, I've actually built um, an automated form that then links to an Airtable. Mm -hmm. So actually anyone, if they reach out to me, can ask to add their resource to the database that then is going to be delivered to freelancers. So that sort of automates that for me, but then also gives anyone the opportunity to fill that out. Um, yeah, I need to add that to my website. Please remind me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to get it all up there. I know. And this is not the only thing that you're building. So this is the big product that you're building, but you're working on a lot of other stuff in the space. I know you mentioned you are starting your own podcast and you kind of have uh, launched No Code, which is, you know, a whole separate platform that you're helping uh, freelancers and things with. So talk to me about all the irons in the fire and everything that's oh, going on. Oh, gosh. So... Launch no code. Um, to be honest, it was the first URL that I bought when I joined Launch MBA. I love that. Um, I'm one of those people, and there's many of us out there that tend to collect domain names. Mm -hmm. um, we don't necessarily go through with building the products related mm -hmm. to those domain names, but we definitely have a lot of them databased. And I think I, for my first project, at the minute, launchnocode.com is my first little project, which was a portfolio, but I realized that maybe I could pivot that into something, something bigger. And so I just put launch no code, got the Twitter handle, because um, it's important to get your social handles early because it's just like getting domain yep. names. Once they're gone, they're gone. Yep. So I was like, I'll put that up. I'll put some basic branding on there and got this like meteor with somebody riding, riding a meteor, very spacey. Mm -hmm. And just wrote a bio and kind of left it. And I launched the Twitter um, handle at the same day I launched uh, Freelance Notion. Mm -hmm. And the point of this is I actually wanted to run an experiment to see which one got the most followers oh. based on the two different Twitter strategies that I took. So I could truly compare and contrast what grows right. in a Twitter community. I've been doing this all my life, running tiny experiments um, on personal profiles and things like that. And <laughs> what ended up happening was I did barely anything on Launch No Code. Uh -huh. And I was working really hard on freelance Notion Twitter handle. And within three days, um, 
Launch No Code had twice as many followers <laughs> as Freelance Notion. Yeah. So then I became competitive against myself. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to try much harder at Freelance Notion <laughs> because it's not beating <laughs> Launch No Code. And the more I tried with Freelance Notion, the more uh, Launch No Code grew. And actually, um, since launching that, I've managed to get four or five reasonably large names to to commit to doing podcasts with me starting from next month. Um, I don't have time to do it before Freelance Notion, but that's going to be my little February project, I think. Um, And I'd love to get some tips from you about how to to best approach that as well, because it's going to be my first podcast. Yeah, podcasting is so much fun. We can talk offline about it for sure. I, I have a lot of, of thoughts about it. I've been podcasting for almost three years. So it's just, you know, it grows over time. You kind of find your rhythm and the tools that you like and the things that you like. But I think it's an amazing platform for multiple reasons. And I encourage everyone to start one um, because there are so many tools now that you can, you know, run it through a closed captioning and download all of the discussion and pull out content, right? So you can use it for multiple platforms and do different things with it. You can make it audio only or audio video, put it on YouTube, you know, all of these different things. So, and it's just a really amazing way to connect with people. Um, You know, I love having these conversations and being able to share everybody's stories, but it's great for me too, because I get to meet amazing folks around the world. So. Yeah. So I think we're going to have you on my podcast talking about how to podcast. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think what I want to do with the podcast is get a little bit more technical into mm-hmm. like the real house because I want it to be a bit different, you know, yeah. make sure everybody has a slightly different angle and and really go through the actual no code tools themselves and, oh, yeah. and talk about, you know, what does their no code stack look like? Mm-hmm. Um, how have they integrated the automations? What struggles have they come up that are a bit more technical? Um, yeah. So I'm going to sort of take that spin on it, I think. Um, and I'm excited for that because I think deep down I am a bit of a, a, a tech geek. Yeah. I love databases, love automation and love data. Um, so <laughs> I think it'd be amazing. I don't I don't know of anybody right now that's talking about like that level of detail in it. So I'm looking forward to it. That'll be phenomenal. The, yeah. the behind the curtains is always great. Yeah, a lot of that comes from, there's a chap called Scott Brinker, who is the um, VP of product for HubSpot. Okay. And HubSpot is the, the platform or the ecosystem I specialize in. But he has um, sort of started up this marketing technology um, group, and he does a lot of posting on, on marketing technology and integration. And I've been reading about like the integration to make sure data runs smoothly through systems um, for many years, um, yeah. which is all backed by that obsession with why can't I have my health data yeah Um, I know yeah we could talk about that a very long time (laughs) (laughs) but health it takes a long time to change but marketing and no code means that you can create all these systems where you know data moves through them so quickly yeah I love that about this no code movement is that you know basically if someone says can I move this from here by tracking this and Without, without touching it. So if you've got a piece of data that you need to move across like three different platforms and create something without touching it, you can do it. Yeah. Often without spending any money on the actual platforms themselves. And I don't think people realize this. That's what's mind blowing to me. The amount of things you can do for free using these tools is in, just insane to me. Uh, every day I'm like, what? I don't have to pay you any money to do this? This is great. <laughs> <laughs> and make money on the side. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Exactly. So you've had a ton of success so far in your your no code journey. 
and you talked about one failure, but you know, what was maybe another failure that had a big impact on you in your marketing journey that's now helping you with your no-code journey? I think it was the first B2B product that I marketed that really, um, that didn't go so well, that taught me a lot, actually. Um, And this is when I first found HubSpot. So this was back in 2015, 16, around that sort of time. And I, I was actually brought on in clinical operations, but the founder of the company saw something entrepreneurial in me um, and asked if I would consider building a digital product for him using outsourcing it to web developers and then selling it into large occupational health companies. Mm-hmm. That was the brief. That was my whole brief. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I did it. It was, it was great fun. I had complete freedom. He of course told me what he wanted the platform to look like and all those sorts of things. So I worked with um, comp- a company to build the product, but we built the product first mm-hmm. and we didn't, talk to prospective customers we built the product and the more we built the product and the more we talked about it internally the more the product transformed Mm -hmm. and it transformed more and more and it changed more and more and actually the founder did have an initial brief from one of his customers but Mm -hmm. he'd forgotten about that Mm-hmm. And he'd forgotten to introduce me to them or, or hadn't even suggested or I didn't know to speak to them. So we built more and more. And by the time we built the system, we had spent so much money on it that what we had to sell it for back to the original client, which was way above the spec that they asked for, they turned around and said, but we didn't ask you to build something like this. Yeah. Now we can't afford what you've built. Had you built this? which was their original brief, which was much smaller and would have cost us a couple of thousand pounds, then they would have bought it. But we ended up building too much and making it too expensive for them. And there wasn't even a way of offering them a smaller portion of it for less money because we hadn't factored that in. Um, You know, at this point, I had no experience at designing any sort of technology. I did manage, I was very good at getting meetings with people to talk about it. Good. (laughs) I, I used all my B2B knowledge of like, databasing and reaching out to people and the cold emails and the cold calling even I would do and just like chat to people on the phone like oh you know we're both in the same industry let's let's have a chat and let me meet and you know show you what what we're dealing with and if you like it we can go further but over and over again the same thing came up that they just didn't think that it added enough value to them to be worth the money that they needed to pay um and the founder wasn't necessarily willing to move on the price point either with it. So it became that kind of stalemate that we'd built something that was amazing to us as a company, but nobody wanted it. And that was the moment that I realized that you need to be speaking to people every step of the way of building your product. Because if you don't do that, you will build what you think the customer wants, not what the customer wants. And actually, you could have built a lot less and launched a lot earlier and made a lot more money a lot sooner had you listened to the customer. Yeah, I think uh, that's phenomenal. I can't tell you how many times that same... (laughs) theme comes up isn't this great look at what we built you (laughs) like this has 18 features we did not need and the two that we do are missing this is the problem (laughs) um boy that is immensely helpful for your no code builder journey and probably why you took a step back and said you know what i'm gonna talk to you every time you order it 
So I can ask you what you would like in it. Yeah. And then I have also been in the completely opposite situation um, with a company that we did so much marketing, so much focus on the hype, so much building that expectation, building that pizzazz. And I truly believed they had an amazing product because that's what I was told. And actually... Mm -hmm when it came to that moment that we were supposed to be launching things, the development wasn't ready. Mm. So actually, it's a very fine balance between making sure that you market, you speak to your customers, you build up that traction early, you build your audiences mm -hmm. early, but then also making sure that you're spending that time on your product, developing it to mm -hmm. make sure it's ready to meet the demands of your customers. So it's very much a timing thing. And, and I sort of say, I, I feel people should spend 50%, 50% on audience building and product development. And I was actually speaking to um, a couple of members from the launch um, MBA community and, and we were kind of talking about the fact that marketers don't seem to sit within product teams at the minute um, and we're not really quite sure why you know typically these days in startups you have a product manager an engineer and a designer or UX UI designer mm -hmm. and they sort of worked with the trio but and actually a lot of marketing teams kind of sit outside Mm -hmm. the product team as like their own separate marketing department but I think that's I just don't think that's right I feel like the product manager and the product marketer should literally sit next to each other they should be best friends yeah. they should be constantly talking constantly reiterating so they can make sure that you know the audiences are ready to launch but then the marketer is up to date with what's happening in the technical team because the last thing you want your marketer to do is market a, a feature that doesn't exist yet isn't going to exist or is completely changed yes yeah absolutely that's very sound advice so i what would your take be then if you are a solo builder or maybe you have a co-founder you know how do you incorporate some of this you know traditional marketing into your no code solo maker journey well the first thing i'd say is the best marketing doesn't feel like marketing so please True. don't feel like we want to remember that is not about trying to oversell something. It's not about trying to be a marketer. It's it's about serving your customer base and, mm -hmm. and knowing who your target audience is. So I think some of my thoughts are, is when you're building something, think about who first, the who you're building it for. Mm -hmm. You know, then think about the why, but not your why, their why. So who are you building it? why would they want your product mm -hmm. and then understand where they live on the internet or in life um, so you can talk to them yep. and go and speak to them that that's probably it you know speak to three or four people um, just about your ideas or about their problems and then I would say launch a pre-sale as early as your um, as your fear will let you. Mm -hmm. yeah, because I think there's a lot of false positives when it comes to people saying that they're going to buy your product to your face. Yes. Or, you know, when you message them to say, well, would you buy this? Um, so 
you can ask them, of course, it doesn't stop you from asking them. And I think we shouldn't discourage people for saying, you know, is this something that you would be interested in? Um, there's a little bit of a movement that's sort of suggesting people shouldn't ask people that, but you can still ask them that. But, you know, follow it up with something to test their actions, right? not their words, because human beings' words often do not match their actions. So, yeah, find your people launch something that can test um, sort of consumer behavior early mm-hmm. and then make sure that you are building your product in alignment with what you have found from your customers at all times. And I think that's why I switch between the two of them at the same time, because I'm always kind of touching base. I'm like, build a bit of product, speak to a bit of customer, build a bit of product, speak to a bit of customer. And, yeah. and that kind of keeps me grounded to make sure that, they're always at the center of everything that I'm building. Yeah, that's a really, really smart approach and very sound advice. I think a lot of us in the no-code space, because you can build so quickly, get caught up with the build, 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 and run with an idea and then <laughs> throw it out into the world and nobody nobody wants it. Or they're like, well, this, who's this for? Because we, we lose touch, we get stuck in build mode and we don't want to communicate. <laughs> yeah. And every time you speak to a customer about what you're doing, you take that time to really understand them. You potentially want another customer as well because, you know, they feel good about you caring about them. Um, So, yeah, think about that as as your traction approach. Yeah, I think that's really smart. It's a really, really great idea. I love it. Well, we have talked about so, so, so much today, and I'm so excited to see Freelance Notion come into the world and all the amazing things that you are going to continue to do in the no-code community. So in the meantime, where can people get in touch with you? So people can get in touch with me on Twitter. So I'm Natalie underscore Fern, F-U-R-N on Twitter. Um, For Freelance Notion, it's freelancenotion.com. For um, Launch No Code, the podcast coming out, that's best found on Twitter and to contact me just dm me on twitter i'm happy to speak to anyone dms are open awesome yes i will be sure to link all of that in the show notes as well so that folks can find you very easily thank you so much again natalie for coming on today and sharing your stories and can't wait to see what happens for you in the future thank you so much for your time lovely to speak with you too that wraps up this week's episode thank you so much for our guests joining this week and sharing their story of failure it's always great to hear what happens when we go through failure and success that we experience on the other side if you would like to keep in touch with me in between episodes hop on over to twitter you can follow me at sarah no socks if you'd like to support the show you can do that over on the webpage, or you can now buy me a coffee and both of those are linked in the show notes be sure to tune in on mondays for my solo episodes until next time bye